Welcome back to another episode of Historical Events with Eli. I'm your host, Eli, and today I have with me a special guest, my mom. Hi, I'm Eli's proud mommy. <laughs> and today we're talking about World War One. So, when World War One began, it was because of a guy, a Serbian man, by the name of Gavrilo, Gavrilo, something like that. Gavrilo, Principet, yeah, Principet. And so, he and two other guys planned to kill the Serbian, or I mean not Serbian, the Austro-Hungarian uh, Archduke, aka the heir to the throne. Franz Ferdinand. And so, they at first threw a bomb at him, missed him, and instead blew up the security car behind him. Then he drove off, but then he decided to come back. And so, that Serbian man, Prince Pitt, he decided to finish it off. So... He decided to finish it off the easy way by shooting the Austro-Hungarian Archduke Franz Ferdinand. He shot him and his wife, um, who were both in the car. This was uh, taking place in Bosnia because they didn't they didn't like Austria-Hungary. Austria-Hungary was made up of a bunch of modern-day countries, and they wanted freedom, so they were mad at, or they were, they had bad morale, so he went on a rally to go cheer them up, and that's how he got shot. Now, because of the, he, because he got shot, they declared war on Serbia, but Serbia had an alliance with Russia and Austria-Hungary, had an alliance with Germany. So Germany declared war on Serbia and Russia. But then Russia had an alliance with France. So then France declared war on Germany and Austria-Hungary. So then Germany and Austria-Hungary declared war on France. And then because the Marseille was very heavily defended with land forts and bunkers, they decided to go around the Marseille. And they went through Belgium, and Belgium was allies with the United Kingdom. So when they invaded Belgium, the United Kingdom declared war on them. And so that... It was a big ally party. Yep. Um, When that happened, like, all of them just got... When that happened... They all decided to resort to something called trench warfare. And this would be very bad because it would affect many men that lived in these trenches. Like, in tren- the trench conditions were bad. For example, there was rats. There would always be rats. Yeah. Um, Gross. Yes. <laughs> Um, 
if you're unlucky, it would rain and you would have wet mud. Wet mud would be everywhere. And also gross. Yeah, so the wet mud itself was actually. You could actually die from it. Sometimes, these little puddles of mud, you wouldn't realize how deep they went. So when you walked in one, your foot would sink in and like get stuck in like this blotch of mud, and you can't pull it out, and you just sink, and then you would die. Good grief. So basically, if you didn't die to a bullet, you would die to mud from suffocation, which was also bad. Now, they also used artillery a lot because they had just invented mortars and these huge these huge railro- railroad guns. That They were so big, they had like this huge tur- turret barrel. And they'd fire these huge shells that would make a big explosion. And they operated these railroad artillery machines by radio. And the Germans had a code. But this code would soon, in 1916, be deciphered by the British. So it took them... It took the British about two years to find out how to decipher the German code. Wow. The Western Front had started at this place called the Battle of... uh, It started at Mons. So Mons had a river called the River of Mons, and it was also a coal mining town. Where's Mons? It's in Belgium, and I think it... It may be near the shore. I don't know. It It may actually be deeper in Belgium. But, so, essentially, the Germans were going to lead a cavalry attack on Mons. But then the British and French found out about this, so they were going to intercept the Germans. But then German spies found out about this interception. So then the Germans decided to not attack Mons, but they tried to retreat. No, wait. I think I've got it the other way around. So the Germans found out about this, so they were going to intercept the interception. And so when they did, I think it would. One side started retreating, and then swords clashed, and basically it just turned into a melee battle and a like range battle they if they ran out of ammo they'd resort to their bayonets or not if a cavalry person with a sword was coming at you you would have to use your bayonet to try and stab them or fight back because you would probably want to reserve your ammo for the infantry the other infantry that was coming at you So, eventually, they would retreat a little bit. And so, one side retreated. And then they started chasing after them. And 
one bad thing about Mons being a coal town was that someone let the coal go free, so the dust from the coal would fly in people's faces, and it would, like, temporarily blind them so they couldn't see for just a little bit. And in that time, you basic they were basically a moving target. They couldn't fight back because they didn't know where you were. This was bad, but eventually... The Germans were pushed back to the river of Mons. Now, if the Germans won this battle, World War One might have ended right there. And if the Allies won, that, then World War One might have ended right there, too. But neither side really claimed a victory because they both decided to not continue advancing to each other's capital or keep advancing in each other. Germany wanted to do that, but they couldn't because the Allies beat them. But the Allies didn't want to advance. They instead decided to start trench warfare. And because of this stalling, the Germans were able to continue fighting, which was obviously bad. Because that would make the war go on for another four years. Bad decision. Yes. Now, even though the war was, like, four years, it still had taken a bunch of lives. Let me read a Calvary list. I mean, not a Calvary list. A casualty list from two of the biggest battles, the Battle of Verdun and the Battle of the Somme. In the Somme, 60,000 men were killed in action or wounded in action on just the first day. Wow. That's that's almost as big as some football stadiums. Yeah. And then 600,000 men total were killed slash wounded. Wow. That was the Battle of the Somme. And then in the Battle of Verdun... I don't have an exact casualty. Oh, wait, never mind. Here it is. So the French, they started out with 500,000 men, and they had 400,000 killed. Wow. And the Germans started off with around a million men, and about 450,000 Germans died. That's so many lives lost. Yes, and those are only two major battles, not counting all the other battle major battles like the American. Oh yeah, the Americans' total casualty list. I don't think this is an actual total, but um, I think they suffered around like one hundred forty-seven or like one hundred fifty-seven thousand casualties. That was just Americans. Um, for the whole war or for a battle? That was for the whole war. Mm. The British and the French, some of them say, basically the European countries say that America got off easy because they joined on the last year of the war. Mm. But 
they showed that they would be relentless and basically they wouldn't stop at no cost and that's what got them the victory what made them join the war um so in the atlantic ocean the germans didn't like the usa supplying support for the entente so german u-boats would go in the atlantic and they'd sink not only support ships but normal transportation vessels like passenger vehicles yeah civilian boats Mm. they'd shoot those down and so one of these boats i think like a thousand people made it off but like it may have been the other way around, but like I think a thousand people got off and then two hundred like died. Yeah, I think it was like that. But it was mainly because a German U boat had sent a torpedo and it hit in the lower like it hit in the front of the bow. I think the explosion caused the boat to sink like super quickly. But the Americans had, like, had enough of all their civilian boats and support boats getting destroyed and their people dying for basically doing nothing but supporting the other side. So that's why they joined the war, to stop the Germans from doing that anymore. Because they did not like it. Um... Now, at that time, I wouldn't say aircraft was the most advanced, nor was, nor were land vehicles such as tanks, but their navies were highly advanced. Like, the biggest boat, like, they already had, like, battleships, and their battleships were huge. Um, I think the biggest German boat they had at that time was the Say the Delitz. Those two, um, those two would later be involved in the Battle of Jutland. Um, their navies were super advanced technology. They had, like, multiple guns and they were super big. But their navies would be almost extinguished from how many they lost. Now, here's a fact about Brit about England. England held the most powerful navy. Like basically, they held the title of the most powerful navy since 1805. Wow. Pretty good navy. Yeah. Um. So. They especially didn't expect their navies to be wiped out. Now. The Western Front. I'd say. Was worse. Than the Eastern Front. But then again. They're kind of the same thing. They're kind of equally as bad. Um, now, in the trenches, 
I also didn't count, like, all the diseases that were going around, like, trench foot and other things like that. What's trench Small foot? Smallpox. Trench foot, I'm pretty sure, is when, like, your foot gets... I'm pretty sure it's basically where... Um, I'm trying to remember. Trench foot... I know it's got to be, like, a deadly disease. It's, you were telling me about the gases that they use, too. Yes. Um, they would use gases, deadly gases. I think there was a total of, like, nine or 13 different gases, poisonous gases that they would use. And all of them did different things. Um... Tear gas and laughing gas was also included. Oh, trench foot occurs due to prolonged exposure of the feet to cold, damp, and often unsanitary conditions. Exactly what the trenches were like. And it had initial symptoms of tingling or itching, which can then progress to numbness. Then the feet can become red or blue in color. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, um, sometimes they'd get smallpox. Smallpox was a disease that, it was kind of like, it was basically chickenpox, except way deadlier. Um, it came from Africa, I'm pretty sure, early on. And... Smallpox also killed a lot of people in the Civil War. Now, they believe that with smallpox, if wherever you saw one, you'd pick wherever you saw smallpox, you'd take a knife and then you'd try and cut and then you'd cut the flesh off where it was. Ooh. That's what the resolution was for it. It was kind of gross, just like the Egyptians, how they thought with sicknesses, they they thought that leeches, whenever they were sucking your blood, they were also sucking the disease out of you too. Mm. When in reality, they could have also given you an extra disease. Mm. Um... But yeah, in World War One, the trenches were awful. But with the Germans, it was not honestly not that bad because they had... With the British, you most likely slept in a chair or on the mud. So, for trench warfare, did they not advance? Or did they just sit there and shoot people as they came? So, trench warfare, both there'd be... So side A would be on the left, and let's say side B is on the right. They'd both build a trench, and they'd get men inside of it. Now, obviously, in these trenches, if your head raised up too high, if the snipers were good with their aim, which snipers were newly made, they are newly invented, They'd be able to kill you. But if you just kept your head low or the trench was deep enough, you wouldn't get shot. 
But essentially, they take turns sometimes shelling each other with artillery bombs. And in fact, at the Battle of Ver- at the Battle of Verdun, the Germans had shot about over two million shells. Uh, I think in like a week or maybe even a day. Wow. Um, yeah, on February the first, nineteen sixteen, they shot about two plus two million, more than two million artillery shells. So they take turns artillery shelling each other. Sometimes they, they'd also have machine guns too. Now, if the there's the. On one, on the left, there's side A, and on the right, there's side B. But in the middle, it's called No Man's Land. No Man's Land was littered with barbed wire, and uh, it would also be full of mud traps. Those were naturally generated, too. They wouldn't be made by the Germans they or British. They were just naturally generated. Um, but... One thing that was implanted by them was mines. If you were unlucky enough, you'd step on a mine and just blow up. So, no man's land, they'd take turns. Whenever the officer blew the whistle, you'd get up, you'd hop over the trench, and start running at the enemy trench. And now, those were called waves. And so, each wave, um... Basically, you'd keep sending waves in until... So in trench warfare, you could either wait them out, you could either gas them out, or you could either wait till they... You could maybe try and, like, I don't know, try and... There were these dead trees, and sometimes they'd hollow them out And they'd have snipers inside of them. So the snipers would be in there and they could snipe people from inside the tree. Wow. So you can either try and kill them from sniper camps or sniper nests. Or that technic I was talking about that with the waves, you could keep sending wave after wave after wave. Until finally, you'd finally be able to take them out. And when you took this trench, you essentially just advanced by one. Hmm. Um, the trenches were so long. So would they keep making new trenches as they advanced? Yeah, but the main trench line, it went all the... The main trench line, it went all the way from basically the shoreline of Belgium down into basically France. It'd go into France, then I think went into Marseille, into the Marseille, but most of them wouldn't go into there because, well, it was heavily fortified, so they wouldn't go to there. So, essentially, the whole Western Front was a huge trench line in the middle of Belgium. Wow. So, I would say the Belgians suffered the most because that's where all the fighting kept happening. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes, 
the Germans would just be lucky enough to get through Belgium, and then there would be a new Western Front. There would be another one where it would be, like, just through France. That one, um, that involved the Battle of Verdun with two forts. And those two forts were Fort Daumont. Daumont. I may be saying that completely wrong, but, yeah. And then there was Fort Vox. Now, in this battle... The Germans, at first, were just sending in a bunch of artillery shells. And then eventually, the Germans were able to charge. Like, they kept advancing. And sooner or later, Fort Dalmont had fell. And so, one thing that this general, Philippe Pétain, who I think, he's like a famous general in World War One for the French... He, one of his famous quotes was, they shall not pass. Yeah, I've heard of that. (laughs) (laughs) Gandalf. That's true. (laughs) Gandalf did say that. (laughs) Except with a, you shall not pass. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, um, but the Germans, they put up with the French for so long that they got exhausted and they left. Wow. Because of how many men they kept losing. And, um, now it's time to talk about Air Force. Now, Air Force, like, airplanes were particularly new like they had been invented in the 1800s by the Wright brothers and they just found out I think it's called the triplane or the biplane uh I think no I think biplane is different I think it's the triplane because triple wing no there's like one wing on top and one wing on the bottom Mm -hmm. so um, they found, they found two uses for this until they eventually found out how to add guns to it. One of them was for reconnaissance, where they'd fly over and they'd scout the land and scout troop movements. Does so, the troops on the ground have any way to shoot down the military planes at that time? Um, you can either take your machine gun and start firing in the air or your rifle. Basically, if you tried using artillery at that time, it would be, like, really inaccurate. Mm. I think if you fired artillery at the plane, some planes, I think, were just high enough locally to where if you did shoot artillery at them, it would just go straight back down. Um... But, yeah, they mostly just used their guns to try and shoot down the planes. But they'd study the troop movements, go back to headquarters, report these, and then they'd they'd basically say everything they knew, and then they could try and, you know, like, flank the Germans or whatever. 
British. And the second use was bomber planes. Now, bomber planes, they'd fly over, and in your seat, you just have a, you would just have a bunch of bombs, and so you'd reach down, grab one, and then just drop it off the edge and hope it hit them. Wow. So they were extremely inaccurate, but if you were lucky enough to get them, that was good. Now, um, there was a thing called an ace. If you if you shot down five pilots, or if you shot down five planes, you'd become an ace. Now, this was obviously, at that time, an extremely hard goal and an extremely... Basically, it was super hard to get because... They didn't have wing guns that would shoot at them. They, you'd basically just have to either try and throw your, you you could try flying over them and then try dropping your bomb on them. Although that probably wouldn't work. Or you could take your pistol and that's how they would do their dogfight. Sometime take their pistol out and then just start shooting at them. Wow. Because they didn't know how to attach it. One one model said you can just put it on the front of the plane and basically it would shoot into the propeller. <laughs> um, yeah, that's, that, that's what I was laughing about was uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. His dad was shooting on the back of the plane and he shot the tail off. Yeah. He's like, sorry, son, they got us. We have to land. And they had to crash land, but he shot the tail off himself, and it was like an old plane. Yeah, that <laughs> that's uh, exactly what I mean. They had they were stupid enough to think, well, I don't. I'm, I mean, we could try attaching it to the front, but then that would shoot the propeller. They also had a plan where they have a stand going, reaching up, and then they'd have a machine gun on there. But that was stupid because the whoever the gunner would be, not only would they be in the same seat as the pilot, but they'd also have to be like sitting on the edge of the plane, trying to move maneuver this gun at a currently moving plane. So wow. that wasn't a smart idea. Because if you you manage to fall, we. That would not be good. Yeah. Well, remember Snoopy? He said he was the flying ace. He would always pretend to be the flying ace, <laughs> shooting at the Red Baron. Yeah, the Red Baron, um, he was, like, a German pilot that was really good. And he kept shooting down planes after planes after planes. But eventually, I think he... He somehow got killed in battle. I forgot how. But someone finally shot him down. Uh, I think it was actually... So, he was overhead during a battle. And I think some Canadians... Or no, nobody really knows who did it. But each... We can just confirm that it was a British colony or whatever. It was a British confirmed kill. Some, 
So the British colonies at that time, who were they, they were basically puppet states or states like that. They didn't really have their freedom. There was Canadians, New Zealanders, and then Australians, and then there was the Scottish and English. But um, I guess that would go to Great Britain, the Scottish and English. So. Great Britain claims that they killed the Red Baron. Canada claims that they shot down the Red Baron. And then New Zealand New Zealand also claims that they shot down the Red Baron. And then Australia also claims they shot down the Red Baron. <laughs> so each side, we can't confirm who actually shot him down, but someone on the British side was able to shoot him down out of the sky. They all wanted to take credit for that. Yeah. Um. It was probably Snoopy. (laughs) 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 Um. Some sources say that it was actually more pointed to, like, a Canadian person that probably shot down the Red Baron. So, it was most likely a Canadian that shot down the Red Baron. Um. But that's how he was shot down. Um, Now, obviously, yes, wing guns were thought of where they were attached on the wings. But they had two problems. One, these planes were, like, extremely light. Or they had to be, like, extremely light. I I think it wasn't made out of metal. I think it was actually made out of wood, the surrounding stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. So, like, they were extremely light. They had to be. So, adding these machine guns onto the bottom of both wings would add a ton of weight to it. So, it wouldn't be able to go up. Instead, it'd be going on the runway, and then it'd just go down whenever they tried to pull up. Because they would go up a little bit. But then the weight of the machine guns would bring them back down onto the ground. Oh. Uh, that brings me to this next topic. Some trainee pilots, um, when they were training to be pilots, sometimes they would make a mistake and they would die in training academy, training like pilot training academy, because one mishap with the plane could mean it could do a barrel roll into the ground and basically explode and catch fire. You had to definitely be a daredevil to be a pilot back then. Mm-hmm. I remember one source where basically this plane, it was going down, and when it crashed, his friend had died because he couldn't make it out in time, but the other guy, he was able to unbuckle just in time, so when it crashed, he got flung from the plane. But he would have been fine if a little tiny chip of burning wood hadn't struck him, and he got some, like, burn... He got some burn marks on, like, some of his face. Wow. But he survived? Yeah. That's crazy. Um, 
Yeah, some wounded men, their wounds were so bad they couldn't recover, like with poison gas. If the poison gas didn't kill you, it would sure affect you, because mustard gas, I'm pretty sure, if you were lucky, it wouldn't kill you, but it would affect your lungs and basically poison them. To where you start, you would start coughing up blood and like eventually die. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be a slow and painful one too. I mean, like, yeah, it was bad. Um, there's also poison chlorine, which if you were unlucky, it could get in your eyes and you'd be. You could either a get temporarily blinded for a very long time. Or B, you'd be blind forever. Wow. Um, That's crazy. Yeah. So, um, this obviously was not a good thing about the wounded. Um, obviously, at that time, they didn't have, they didn't have the medical tools we have today. Um. But even today, I don't think we could, like, if someone gets affected by mustard gas or poison chlorine, we still wouldn't be able to really help their case. Because I don't think we have that kind of medicine even today. Did they have gas masks back then? Um, so gas masks actually weren't invented until, like, a year after poison gas was made. Wow. So, at the, before gas masks were made, you'd usually have a white handkerchief or a white piece of cloth, and whenever they sprayed poison gas, you'd cover your mouth with it, and then you'd hope that it wouldn't kill you, and... This actually brings me to the topic. So on the Eastern Front was Russia. Now Germany had been fighting with Russia. And they were doing surprisingly well. And so... um, They kept getting victory after victory. Until... Who was doing well? The Germans. Ah, okay. And so... They were doing very good until this one battle called, like, I think called, like, the Dead Men or something. Basically, Dead Men or something like that. It had something to do with that kind of name. But essentially what the Germans did is they were going to get another easy victory. They'd turn on the gas... Gas the Russians, move into the trench, take it, and then take out the bunker. That's what they thought, because when they turned on the gas, they thought all the Russians were dead. So when they started approaching um, the Russian trench, they expected nobody to except, like, five or four men to be alive. And even then, they would be very weakened because the Russians, they, even though gas masks were invented, they still didn't have gas masks. Mm. It's probably because Russia was very poor and undeveloped at that time. They even lost to Japan in the Russia-Japanese War. Um, 
so they all of a sudden the Russians jumped out of the trench and they didn't really use their guns but they they didn't shoot their guns but they used like the bayonets on their guns or they just get out a knife or other melee weapons were maces trench mace mm-hmm. even trench shovels were de- used um shovels there was also like i think they use like bats sometimes they use stuff like that and so they'd use these melee weapons sometimes they'd have spike bats so they brought out these melee weapons and then they started killing the Germans, and the Germans were so shocked by this that they were basically just standing there, like, out of shock. They were basically just paralyzed, just sitting ducks to the Russians. And so, I remember this, there was this tale that this one guy, he, he was uh, one of the men who got back from the trench. Like, the gas should have killed them, but somehow they got back up. So, he jumped out of the trench and he killed, like, multiple German soldiers. I'm also pretty sure he was shot, like, two times oh. in the chest. Uh, he eventually died. Like, all of them, for, all of them eventually just, like, died. Uh, Maybe the... Maybe it wasn't as potent or something when they shot it out. Yeah, um, how they sometimes sprayed gas out is sometimes they'd have gas grenades where when you pulled the pin, it starts spraying gas. Or sometimes they'd have these huge, they'd have these, you know those oxygen tanks scuba divers wear? Mm -hmm. They'd have one of those and they'd fill it with poison gas. And they just put it on the trench, have a hose that ran out, and then they'd turn it on and it'd start spraying the gas out towards the trench. Wow. Also, but the bad thing with gas is sometimes the wind would be against you, so it'd blow the gas right back in your faces. That actually happened one time with the Germans. They sprayed gas and then... Because of the wind patterns, it sprayed right back to their faces. Wow. Backfired. Mm-hmm. Um, now, there's actually... We probably wouldn't have known about it as much if it wasn't for these Russian men that were in the bunkers. They weren't... The gas couldn't reach them, so they weren't affected by the gas. But they watched the whole event unfold, and they were just sitting there in the bunkers watching. Wow. Um, but yeah, they got away, and they told... They lived to tell the story. So, um... <clears throat> now, obviously, in 1917, there were some other countries that join 
and the list of those was the Ottoman Empire. There was... Russia had actually dropped out in 1917. This was because they had been overthrown by Lenin and his communist followers, the Bolsheviks. They had taken over Russia, and this brings us also to Nicholas II, the Tsar of Russia. He was able to get away to this tiny town, and eventually he was found by the Russian, by the communists. And this is kind of sad. They took the, they took Nicholas II and his family down the basement, and they. You said in that show? Yeah, there's a movie about them, and um, they told them that they were taking their picture in the movie. So they dressed up and were down in the basement, and they shot them. I don't know if that's really true or not, if they really did that, but they did shoot them. Yeah, they took them down to the basement. That show uh, has that a part of it, but... They took him down the basement and then shot them unexpectedly. Like the Nicholas II and his family weren't really expecting to be shot right away. So, yeah, that's why Nicholas II was kind of sad. So, Russia had dropped out. Then Bulgaria joined in, and they were in the Central Powers. That made four. Germany, Austria-Hungary, Bulgaria, and then the Ottoman Empire. Now, before I really knew much about World War One, I, I used to think that Romania was on their side, but Romania was not, and instead was on the Entente, with, along with Serbia um they they were against Austria, Hungary and Bulgaria cuz those were the two countries. Oh yeah. There's a list of all the countries that were on the entente. There was the USA, there was Canada, Australia, New Zealand, there was Romania, there was Greece, there was France, United Kingdom. And Italy joined. Italy actually got mad after this war. That's why Mussolini was able to trick it into fascism. Mm. Um, that makes a total of about, like, nine countries in the Entente. That's also counting the British colonies, like Canada and others. Mm-hmm. They, all these countries together, went against... Um, the Central Powers, which was only four. So, they were truly a world a world war. Uh huh. Now, this actually this war didn't spread as far as um the other war, the next world war would spread. Now, the continents that were involved with this was Africa. There was fighting in Africa, although that's not really mentioned, except Lawrence of Arabia. Um, there was Africa, Europe, and then does Russia count as Asia? 
Great question. I think. I think it might be. But I'm not positive. Oh, yeah. So, the Germans and the British and French also had colonies in Asia. So, that also got involved in a little bit of fighting. Not much. That got involved. And then, obviously, the USA and Canada joining. That involved... North America, and then Australia, since it's its own continent. That also makes about five continents, with seven total in Arctica. South America wasn't involved? Nope. But in World War II, if you're not counting Antarctica, because nobody owns Antarctican land, that World War II basically used every single continent in the world, wow. except Antarctica, all of them were against the- Brazil. Was the only South American country that joined in World War Two. I think they're on mention in World War Two, but they sent like three thousand or thirty thousand men in World War Two, mm-hmm. which wasn't a lot, but still, I yeah, guess I didn't it made know a difference. That. Yeah. So, uh, Mexico and Cuba also got involved with World War II. Hmm. Yeah, a lot of countries joined. Um, now, in World War One, some countries that are unmentioned that also joined was Portugal and Spain. Now, Portugal, I'm pretty sure they were the Portuguese Empire even though the only stuff they had was, like, islands and little stuff. And then the Spanish, who just recently had had the Cubans revolt from them. So, like, they had a war with the Cubans, and the Americans, I think, also had a war with them, the Spanish-American War. So, this together, these two countries didn't want to join... So, Spain had joined sooner than Portugal. Portugal also joined on the last year of the war. Um, America did actually join on 1917, but the only fighting that America could do in 1917 was in Africa because somehow they got there shorter in a shorter time than the other boats. They took longer. Um... So in Africa, Lawrence of Arabia, he was led along with some, um, some, what, what would I, how do I describe this, like, tribes or basically Arabian nations that Mm -hmm. didn't like the Ottomans? Yeah. Yeah. There were Arabian, there were, like, Arabian Nations that wanted to be free from the Ottomans, so they joined Lawrence of Arabia against the Ottomans. Now, Lawrence of Arabia, after World War One, he got interested in motorcycles. Now, this would eventually lead to his death when he was cycling down. He was motorcycling down a one-way path, and two boys on bikes were coming down the same path and so he kept going and 
He thought one of them would eventually turn, but none of them did. So he obviously didn't want to hurt the kids. So he had to swerve out of the way. And he, because of the swerve, the motorcycle accident had killed him. Oh, yeah. Yikes. Um, so, yeah, he's di- he died from a motorcycling accident. Um, so, another American hero, other than Lawrence of Arabia, you, you've seen the movie, uh, a movie about him, is called Sergeant York, and that's his name. Yay, I love that movie, with Gary Cooper. <laughs> yeah. Um, Sergeant York, he was a... Basically a World War One sniper. Like, he was really good with his rifle. So. You know why he was good with his rifle? I'm not really that sure. Turkey shooting in Tennessee. <laughs> he would enter turkey shoots. And so he grew up hunting and he learned to shoot when he was younger. And so he would... You know, you'd have to hit, you know, when a turkey would pop up its head, you'd have to hit it just right. Just like a German. Yeah, so that's how he he learned. And in the movie, he makes a gobble-gobble noise, and the German pops up his head, and that's how he, he gets them. <laughs> yeah. Um, Sergeant York, because of the more... Uh, with heroes that America had and the Entente had, like Lawrence of Arabia, uh, Philippe Pantane, and um, Sergeant York, the Entente's morale was very high. Meanwhile, the Germans' morale, it was low because they had been losing recently. Austria-Hungary had been losing the Ottomans sucked. Bulgaria sucked. So they kept losing and losing. And now before World War One, we end with the World War One topic. I'm going to talk about the major. This is a, this naval battle was huge, but not as huge as the Battle of. Economus, which was considered the largest ancient, it was considered the largest naval battle in history, and that was ancient times. Wow, with Carthage and Rome, in the first Punic War. I think I talked about it in my old episode. Mm-hmm. Um, so this World War One battle was called the Battle of Jutland, and so. The Germans, I'm pretty sure his name was Schneer, or Schneer, Scheer, something like that. He had an excellent plan, but as I said before, in 1916, the British had deciphered the German code. So, they were able to, they listened to the whole plan, and they knew about it all along. So, sneaky. Yep. 
But this battle went completely out of hand when a lure that the Germans had went wrong. The British boats had lined up in a line with German boats. And obviously, with colonial times, this was lucky because you'd have cannons on mainly just the sides, so you'd fire at each other. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, in World War One, they had movable turrets, but still, they were right next. They were side by side, and then the Germans. Then the Germans sank. Indefatigable, I think it's called. Indefatigable, it's a long name. Essentially what happened, this was a super big thing that happened. So the Germans had hit it just right and it exploded. And then with this explosion, it started sinking rapidly. And here's a big surprise. Only two men from this boat survived to tell basically the tale. Or those were the only two men that survived from this boat sinking. Wow. Now, and then the Seid Dillitz, the big German boat I was talking about, and the HMS Queen Mary, they started closing in on each other. And so the Germans were, the Germans, they kept firing at the HMS Queen Mary. Like, they at first shot a secondary turret. Then they shot another turret. And then they shot the main turret. Mm -hmm. And they kept beating it up so badly. So, obviously, the British, not wanting to lose any more boats because they kept losing some. But so were the Germans, obviously. They were going to try, they tried turning around and retreating, but it was too late for the British, and she was hit about two more times. One, one, there were two shells. One didn't really do much, but the other hit the ammo storage, and the explosion was so big, it snapped the HMS Queen Mary in half, and the ship sank. Really fast, taking 1,266 crewmen down with it. Wow. And only 80 men survived. Now, um, that's going to have, that's going to be really all I can cover for today. The next part of World War One shall be the end of World War One, the Treaty of Versailles, and the Battle of Cantigny and Belleau Wood with American with the Americans. Hmm. And maybe even nah, nah, it'll t- I'll talk about the Treaty of Versailles in tomorrow's episode. But it is all for today. Awesome. <sighs> yep. Well, thank you for letting me be on your podcast. You're welcome. (laughs) I enjoyed it, and I learned a lot. Thank you. Have a good day, everyone. Bye.